All right, so the great exodus. <laughs> um, Genesis chapter 17 is our reading, and a little longer reading. That's why I let the kids go. And, and also, um, some of the kids, I, I didn't necessarily want the parents to have to explain what circumcision is to them. <laughs> that The whole passage tonight is about circumcision, so... I released the kids uh, before. Let's read together. This is a great uh, part of Abraham's story. Uh, when Abraham was 99 years old, uh, the Lord appeared uh, to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless that I may make a covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. And you shall be exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring... Uh, after you, the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money <clears throat> shall be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh, an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. And God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael may live before you. And God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you, and behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father twelve princes. And I will make him into a great nation, but I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. When he had finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. Then Abraham took Ishmael his son, and all those born in his house or bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house, and he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very day, as God had said to him. Abraham was ninety-nine years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. And Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. 
That very day, Abraham and his son Ishmael were circumcised. All the men of his house, those born in the house and those bought with money from a foreigner, were circumcised with him. Amen. Um, I told you there was a lot of circumcised and circumcision uh, in the passage tonight. Uh, But it has certainly far more significance to it than simply a medical procedure. Uh, God is not prescribing a medical procedure here. He's prescribing a covenantal sign, a sign of his covenant that he had made with Abraham. Uh, You'll remember, maybe you'll remember, uh, last week we talked about, uh, or two weeks ago now actually, we talked about how Abraham and Sarah, or Sarai at the time, and Abram, came up with a scheme to try to get God's promise to work because they weren't having children. What was that scheme? Hagar, you know, the Egyptian uh, handmaid of Sarai was given to Abraham as a second wife. And uh, she did, in fact, bear a son named Ishmael. But that created a rivalry, understandably so, between Sarah and and, uh, Hagar. And later it will make a rivalry between Ishmael and Isaac. We'll see that in a future week. It became a mess, uh, even though it seemed like a quick way to get what God was promising without having to wait for it which was kind of the point, right? You either wait on God or you scheme. Those are the two options. And faith chooses to wait rather than scheme. Well, this passage tells us uh, there in uh, the very first verse, Abraham's how old? What does it say? 99. Uh, If you go back to chapter 16, uh, in verse 16, how old was Abram when um, Ishmael was born? 86. Do you see that? Chapter 16, verse 16. Uh, How many years is that between 86 and 99? 13 years. We also know that because when Ishmael was circumcised, he was a 13-year-old boy. So 13 years have passed of apparently silence between God and Abram. Let's brainstorm for a minute. Now, I know this is speculation. None of us can know for sure. What do you think in those 13 years was going through Abraham's mind about God's promise? Or maybe even Sarah's mind about God's promise? Those 13 years of raising Ishmael. God forgot me. We blew it. Those are possible. What? Bitterness on Sarai's part, for sure. Not getting any younger. <laughs> That's right. Could even possibly be, like Abraham suggests in this story, maybe he's thinking, well, maybe Ishmael is the ticket after all, right? I mean, it's been 13 years. He hasn't heard from God. God said Sarah's going to have a baby, but it's been 13 years, and Sarah is getting up there even more than she was before, so much so that Abraham laughs when God repeats the promise to him in this passage. Uh, it, it, was, it makes perfect sense if Abraham and Sarah had thought any of those things, but I think probably especially maybe Abraham had thought Ishmael was the one. And God was going to finally carry out what he had always been promising, uh, children and nations to come from Abraham through this boy Ishmael. But after 13 years, God breaks his silence. He doesn't just break his silence. God also shows himself to Abraham. Did you notice the word used there in in verse 1? The Lord appeared to Abraham. He he showed up. He didn't just speak, but he appeared. Uh, It doesn't tell us exactly in what form God appeared or what Abraham saw or heard, but 
Nevertheless, Abraham saw something and heard something that made it clear God was here to do business with him. Uh, in fact, at the end of the passage, verse 22, it says that when Abraham and God had finished talking, God went up from him. So literally, God came and visited Abraham in a, almost a physical type way in order to deliver a reaffirmation of his promise to a man who had either thought God had forgotten him or had become embittered by the rivalry within his family or maybe he had thought, well, I guess Ishmael's it. God comes and says, no, Ishmael is not it. I do have a new son for you with whom I'm going to make a covenant. It's going to be through Sarah, just like I said before. In fact, kings are going to come from you, which as far as I can tell, God had not told Abraham that part yet. This is a bigger promise. I mean, kings are going to arise from your family line through Sarah. So astonishing is this promise that God reiterates that he brings with it a physical, tangible sign to tattoo on Abraham's body and all the bodies of his descendants for generations as a marker of that covenant. Now, let's talk about that tonight because this is not an unusual thing. Uh, with God, just about every covenant that he makes, part of what you get in a covenant is not only the word of the covenant, the promise, but you always get attached to it some sign or signs to back it up. Some tangible thing to hang on to that backs up what God said in the promise. Every single one. I'll try to show you that tonight. Look at your bulletin. There are three quick questions that I want to talk with you through. First of all, what is a covenant sign? Secondly, why does God give them? And lastly, how do they work? What is a covenant sign? Why does God give them? And how do they work? I think Ben is fishing a, another pin for me. Okay, I've got one that actually is better. Yep, I'll use that one from here on so that y'all can see it. Thank you, Ben. Uh, let's look at what a covenant sign is. Uh, I think there's a clue here if you'll go down to verse 9, because essentially, just to outline the chapter for you real quick, in verses 1 to 8, God reiterates his promise. He gives the word. And then in verses 9 to 14, he institutes the sign that backs up the word. And then in verses 15 to 22, he gives the word again, this time about Sarah. And then in the last verses, verses 23 to 27, Abraham actually administers the sign. So you have word, sign, word, sign. That's the way the chapter is set up. So look at that first sign section there in verse 9. Uh, it, God says to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant. And verse 10, this is my covenant, which you shall keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. What a fascinating statement. This is my covenant. Get circumcised. Why does God speak that way? I mean, is it really God's covenant with Abraham simply that he gets circumcised? Is that the sum total of God's covenant promise to Abraham? So why does he say, this is my covenant, if not? Something powerful is going on here. Maybe, you know, God had not simply said to Abraham, hey, here's my covenant, um, I want you to be a circumcised people. God, I mean, that, that, 
That's a small thing, right? I mean, besides that, we know from history there were plenty of people in the world that practiced circumcision before Abraham was ever given it. Um, the Egyptians, for example, were famous for practicing circumcision. Uh, this was not just simply an Abraham thing. This was already existing in the world. This wasn't God's concern. The covenant God made with Abraham was, I will be your God, you will be my people. I will give you and your descendants, which I will give you by miracle, a land to live in so that through your family the whole world can be blessed. That was the covenant. But here, when God gives the sign, circumcision, he says, this is my covenant. And there you learn something really important about covenant signs. Covenant signs so totally represent the promises of the covenant that God can say, that's my covenant, when he points to it. It's such a full picture of what the covenant's about that God can point to it and say, this is what I'm doing with you. Covenant sign. Uh, a covenant sign represents in all the fullness what God has promised and by representing all the fullness of what's God, uh, what God has promised, it serves to guarantee or to reassure the person who is undergoing the sign, whatever it happens to be. Now, I said that every single time God gives a covenant, he gives a sign. Let me show you that, okay? So, in the very beginning, God made a covenant with the first person. Who was that? Adam. Yep, Adam. What was God's covenant with Adam? I will give you life if you will obey me. Here's what I want you to do. You can eat of all the trees in the garden, but you can't eat this one tree, the tree of the, of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat of that, you will surely die. And God gave, it says, alongside the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, another tree. What was it called? The tree of life. And Abraham, or not Abraham, Adam and Eve were to go to the, the tree of life and eat of it. And in eating of it, they were to be reminded of the promise of life that God would give them on the basis of their obedience. That was the first covenant sign. Um, in fact, it was so powerful in representing what God was promising that after they sinned, God would not let them go back to the tree of life. Because that's how powerful the sign was. It represented so much what it meant to be taken from being created at, from the dust and lifted up by obedience to God to glory, that once they had disobeyed, they couldn't even get to the tree. God put angels out front to guard it with swords. That's how powerful the sign was. All right? Now think about the next covenant we read about in Scripture, Noah. What's God's covenant with Noah? Rainbow is the sign, yeah. And the promise is not just to Noah, but to the whole world, everything, even the creation itself was a part of this covenant. I won't destroy the earth again by flood, God said. Never again. Instead, I'll make sure that the cycles of nature continue very steadily and regularly. I'm not going to destroy it all with a flood anymore. And as a proof of that, God says, here's my sign. I'll put my rainbow in the clouds so that when I see it, I will remember my covenant and you'll remember it too. That was the sign. By the way, the rainbow is still the sign of God's covenant with Noah. Still. That's the reason it's still up in the clouds. Um, and God still has kept that promise. He's still been looking at the rainbow, remembering what it is he had promised. And you and I, when we look with the eyes of faith, can also remember that promise that God made, a very effective promise. 
He's never flooded the earth completely since then. And he won't. Right? Let's think about the next covenant. Here with Abraham. For the first time here, God is giving a sign. Now you say, well, I thought in chapter 15, he, he gave him a sign by splitting the animals in two and walking between them. Well, that was not so much a sign of the covenant as it was the cutting of the covenant itself. And that, that was an unrepeatable uh, event that only Abraham went through. That, that was like the, the once and for all establishment of the covenant. This is the first sign that gets repeated. A, a covenant sign must be something that you can continually go back to or else it's not good because you're going to need it every day. You're going to need it throughout the rest of your life. And so here for the first time to Abraham, God is giving, when he's 99 years old, a sign to represent what he's promised. Go to, Mo- go to Moses, leading the people out of Egypt. He gives him a sign. What was that? Say what? That was a, I would say that was like a prediction that came true. But I'm talking about like a repeatable sign that they did all the time. For example, yearly in the spring. <laughs> Passover, yeah. Passover was the sign of the covenant that God gave to Moses and to the people of Israel. Every spring they were to do the Passover with the lamb and the blood and all the rest and eating the unleavened bread. And that was to be for them the representation of what God was promising to them. Well, fast forward all the way to us with Jesus in the New Testament, the New Covenant. God gave two signs of the covenant. Repeatable things that are tangible that represent the relationship that we have with God. What are they? Lord's Supper, baptism. God never makes a covenant without, along with his word, also giving a sign to go with it. A tangible thing. This is such a mercy. We'll talk about in a second why this is such a mercy. But for now, just understand, God has this, God has this you know, desire that his people would understand backwards and forwards what, his, what the relationship between him and them is. So much so that he's willing to accommodate to our weakness by giving us something really physical and really touchable. The promises of God are not very tangible often, right? For example, Jesus says, If you believe in me, I will forgive you all your sins. If you were to look in the mirror a moment before you believed in Jesus for forgiveness, and then you went back to the mirror after you believed in Jesus and looked again, would you see anything different? Nope. What God does is often so unseen. It's spiritual. It's inward. And so the, the great grace of God in giving us signs of the covenant is he makes inward things outward. He makes inward things touchable, visible, even tasteable in Passover and communion. Isn't that cool? Uh, and, and as he makes it outward and represents it, it has this quality of reassuring us. Let's think about... Um, Let's think about Abraham for a minute. What do you think Abraham's thinking as God says, keep my covenant, be circumcised? Put yourself back in Abraham's shoes. He's been waiting a long time for this promise. What's he thinking? It's not a baby. 
In fact, um, it seems like it might hinder. I don't want to get too graphic, but for Abraham, he's probably thinking, okay, this seems like it might get in the way of what you're promising me to have, right? Is that not correct? Um, Not to mention, uh, Abraham is to not only circumcise his own children, but all those within his household. Listen, y'all, there was only one that was actually his child in his whole household. That was Ishmael at this point. All the rest of the people he circumcised that day were a bunch of foreign people who he just hired. And they were a part, they were his servants and stuff. So he's probably thinking, I don't know how that helps either. Because you've promised to give me descendants, not a bunch of these wahoos or whatever, you know. And yet God knows what he's doing. The very sign of circumcision perfectly represents what God is promising to do for Abraham in that moment. And if Abraham, and I think he probably did think a lot about it once God said do this. He probably thought a lot about it. I'm imagining him having some sleepless nights. Not just about the physical pain, although that was probably part of it. It was probably also, well, this is kind of a difficult thing to pitch to your employees. (laughs) Don't you think? Hey, guys, the Lord showed up (laughs) with a message. Here's what we're going to do, right? This is not going to go over well. He's, He's thinking about this. He's processing this. And I think as he's processing this, something is starting to come to light. What do you think it is? What's coming to light as he's processing? Why would you want me to do that? Why that? Yep, that's part of it. That's part of it. Obedience. Even when it's painful or, or doesn't seem to make sense, that's definitely part of it. I think it also represents something about what God is proposing to do in Abraham's life, though. Not to, you know, it, is, it is partly what Abraham has to do, which is hard, but it's also representing what God wants to do. <clears throat> Circumcision is a cutting away. In particular, it's a cutting away from the very, from the very member that is going to be the instrument in carrying out the promise God made. You got it? I'm, not, I'm, tr- I'm not really not trying to cause giggles. I'm sorry. I'm trying to be very discreet. This is why I released the kids before the reading. But, yeah, I might. I, I might. Yeah. This actually could. Yeah. That, that's okay, I guess. But it's in the Bible, y'all. It's in the Bible. I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah. But think about it. Isn't this interesting? Um, God says to Abraham, you're going to have children, and through your children, I'm going to bless the world. But before you do, you're going to have to cut something away from you. What does that tell him? Abraham, this is not about you and your goodness. This is not about how old or young you are or how old or young Sarah is. This is about a supernatural intervention of Almighty God. And that's, that's the way he introduces himself in verse 1. I am God Almighty, El Shaddai. Not to mention the fact that you're dirty anyway, Abraham. You've got to get something cut off of you in order to be clean. 
And I'm going to be the one to do that too. For you and for your children. So that when your children at eight days old are circumcised, they're dirty too. And you're acknowledging that your kids need something cut away from them in order to be right with God. In fact, throughout the Old Testament, it makes it crystal clear. Simply being circumcised in the flesh does not make one a believer. In fact, there were plenty of people that were circumcised outwardly. Paul says they were Jews outwardly, but they were not Jews inwardly. Same thing Jeremiah says. Jeremiah says you need to circumcise your heart. And Moses says that in Deuteronomy. God needs to circumcise your heart. That's what circumcision stands for. How God comes to cut away the sin of our heart to make us clean. That's the only way that the gospel is good news. It's not because Abraham was a great man and God blessed a great man. It was because Abraham was a man of like nature with us and God supernaturally intervened for Abraham. And for the rest of his generations, all of his children were going to be marked like a tattoo with that sign of, I wasn't worthy, but God made me worthy. Isn't that neat? Whenever uh, the Israelites were brought out of Egypt, God said through Moses, none of them had been circumcised. So so this is 500 years after Abraham, and apparently they had dropped the ball and hadn't kept up this rite, this ceremony. And so when they came out of Egypt, nobody was circumcised. Remember, even Moses' son wasn't, and God went to go kill his son because he wasn't circumcised. That's kind of a weird story, but it's in there. Um, You can read about it in uh, Exodus. All all the people were uncircumcised, and so Moses had them all circumcised on one day. And God says, now look, God has rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. And so again he's saying, look, he's again teaching what circumcision means. Something's being cut off and removed that was hindering you. Slavery. Slavery to sin, especially so that you can now be set free to be my people, to serve me in the land that I promised to give Abraham, your forefather. And so a representative sign reassures Abraham of what God's up to in his life. All right, let's look at the second thing. Why does God give covenant signs? And there's really one main reason, and it's not because God needs the sign. It's because we do. Let me give you the reason in one word, weakness. Human weakness. Uh, Shouldn't it have been enough for Abraham simply to hear God's word? God says, I am God Almighty. Walk before me, Abraham, and I will establish my covenant with you. You Kings will come from you. Shouldn't Abraham have just said, yes, Lord. Shouldn't Moses and the Israelites just have said, yes, Lord, take me out of slavery? And yet, did they? Do we? Oftentimes, we're very slow to believe what God says in the Bible, right? We're very slow to believe his word, even if we're not slow to believe it intellectually. Sometimes we are, but sometimes even if we're not slow to believe it up here, we're really slow to believe it here and to accept it and apply it to our heart. And so this is the reason for covenant signs. This is the reason why to be a covenant sign, something has to be repeatable. It's so that the whole community of faith would, in a repetitious way, see the sign again and be reminded. 
So baptism happens over and over again as people either come to faith or are born. Baptism, baptism, baptism. Communion happens over and over again so that we see what God is up to in the relationship with us. Same thing with circumcision. Every time someone was born, every time someone came from outside into Abraham's family, they were circumcised. A reminder that God was accommodating to human weakness. Now, I drew this, I've drawn this chart before. Uh, this is a chart of a covenant relationship. This represents God, this represents us. <clears throat> and all, excuse me, didn't mean for that to be so loud. <clears throat> trying to clear my throat. Uh, always in a covenant relationship, uh, God knows how God is higher than we are. God initiates every covenant, and it's always on his terms, not on ours. He doesn't ask us for input <laughs> into how the covenant will be. He simply gives it as he wants it to be had. Uh, and, and here, usually, the, the basis of his covenant is a promise or a set of promises. But then, along with the promise, God requires of us some things. What is God requiring, for example, of Abraham or of us? Just, there's a few things. Yep, obedience, belief. Uh, he talks about, um, well, for example... In verse 1, he says, you need to be blameless. Now, blameless sounds to us like what? What does that sound like to you? Impossible. Like It, it sounds like you never do anything wrong. That's what blameless sounds. But actually, the, the word, it's, it's a word used about Noah. It's a word used about Job. Um, it actually has more to do with sincerity of heart than it does with actual like never making a mistake or never sinning. It has to do with being fully sincere, without blame. No one can accuse you of being fake. And the covenant always requires sincerity on our part, that we sincerely believe, sincerely repent, and seek to sincerely obey God based on his promise. Now you can notice, if we're down here, what weakness is in us which prevents this whole thing from working? What are some of the weaknesses we have to deal with? Temptation. What are other weaknesses that are weighing us down? Yep, society around us, all which kind of goes along with temptation, right? Unbelief in, my, in our own hearts. Human nature. Yeah, yeah, <clears throat> yeah. Sinful nature. Yeah, self-reliance is kind of what Ed's saying, right? That we don't really need God; we can do it on our own. <coughs> Say what? Sorry. Pride. Yes, that's great. Pride. I, I'm good by myself. I can figure everything out. I can scheme my way to glory rather than waiting on God or listening to what he has to say. All, all these things are swirling, and there's more besides these things, right? All, all these weaknesses are swirling around in us. These weaknesses don't change the promise, but what do they do to us in relationship to God's promise? They 
Yeah, that's right. They, they sort of like cloud the mind. This is a cloud, by the way, in the mind. They cloud the heart. They block us off from being willing, being willing to receive what God has to say. Uh, all these things, when they're not defeated or overcome, they, they weigh us down to where we're not capable, really, of receiving what God promises, truly believing it. And then, very obviously, it affects this, right? Now, this can't be undone. I mean, the promise of God is the promise of God, even if my mind's too cloudy to see it. But if my mind and heart is too cloudy to see God's promise, it's way too cloudy to do this, right? So all these things shoot my sincerity to pieces. You know, they, they can turn me into a hypocrite, into a two-face. Uh, they work, you know, tremendous harm to my faith. Uh, and they also draw me away from, from obedience, from wanting to do what God wants me to do because they basically put myself in the place of God. Well, notice what God says to Abraham. I love this. Verse, um, I'm skipping around a little bit more tonight than I usually do, but there's a method to my madness. Hopefully you'll see it. <laughs> um, he says, uh, if you'll look at verse um, 11, you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. The covenant is a sign between me and you. In other words, it teaches you something about my promise which could help cut through these things so that your mind would be unclouded and your heart unclouded. And it's a sign of you, of what you are supposed to bring in response to me and my promise. It's a double sign. It's a sign of your part and my part. Mostly it's about my part, God says. But it is also a little bit a sign of your part and what you must bring to the table in response to me. All of which, if you'll receive, if you'll receive circumcision, not just in the flesh, but if you'll receive it in the heart. If you'll let the message of circumcision get down in your bones and really understand what it means. God says to Abraham, your relationship with me will go well. Your relationship with me will prosper. You will become blameless, walking sincerely with me. If you hang on to it. But remember, it can't just be physical. It has to be internal. It has to be a circumcision of the heart. You have to really take in the sign into your heart and into your life for this to happen. But if you do, Abraham, you'll have you know, not just the bare word from me, but you'll have this corroborating evidence that can take a hammer to all these things day by day by day in your life. Again, why do the signs need to be repeated? Why circumcision where you can see it every day after you have it done? So that you, because you, you need to know every day in order to fight these things. Abraham could every day look and see, oh, this is what God wants from me. He wants to cut away my sin and make me pure. My, my children in whom all the families of the earth will be blessed, those didn't come from my gifts and skills. They came from God's supernatural power. Wow. I need to be saved by God's supernatural power. And as Abraham remembers this, it, it strikes a blow against his temptations. It, it attacks his unbelief. It tells his uh, slowness to respond in obedience to speed up. 
He gives him a jump start every single time. And it was supposed to do that also for his children after him. Does that make sense? A sign between me and you, God says. This is my covenant. This circumcision represents so well the relationship I want to have to you that when I give it to you, it will become a sign signifying both sides of the covenant so that you can overcome your native weaknesses. This is why God gave the uh, tree of life. This is why he gave the rainbow. This is why he gave circumcision. This is why he gave Passover. And this is also why he gives baptism and the Lord's Supper. Uh, Baptism and the Lord's Supper are not just sort of empty signs or just... And neither are they merely signs of, uh, I'm making a commitment today. Don't turn uh, the sacraments or the signs of the covenant into just simply a way of saying, I'm making a commitment for God. Because that actually undoes the whole reason why they were given. You know, if you think about it, it completely undoes it. Uh, Because then all you have to remember is, oh yeah, one day I meant business for God. Great. That day I got baptized, I really was serious. I need to be serious again. Rather than seeing baptism and communion as, first of all, a sign that God means business. And he marked me. And then, okay, that's something that when I'm being tempted, I can think about that. And it's not just a matter of, man, I wish I was as serious as I was that day when I got baptized. I can think, God still wants to wash me. God still wants to give the supernatural power of his Holy Spirit to me. What an unbelief defeater that is. Isn't it? I think it is. Let's look at the last thing. How how do the the signs work? And I want to just give you three things. And and, and actually, these are three things about circumcision from the passage, but but I think they can be applied very directly to baptism. Um, By the way, actually, I want to show you this. Keep your finger in Genesis 17 and go to Colossians chapter 2 in the New Testament. Uh, Lest someone think that I'm I'm just simply trying to pull a Presbyterian fast one over you to uh, convince you of infant baptism, uh, which I am trying to do, but... Um, it's from Scripture that baptism and circumcision are the same thing. Uh, Look at uh, Colossians uh, chapter 2, and I will read uh, starting in verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to the human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in Christ the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, For you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him you also were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. By putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith. In the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Translation. Uh, You may be a Gentile Christian, you may have never been circumcised physically, but you were circumcised internally. And baptism now in the New Testament stands for the same thing circumcision stood for before the coming of Christ. You have been washed in heart by faith in Jesus. You have been renewed by the Holy Spirit. 
You have, God has named you. Even as Abraham received a new name when he was circumcised. Sarah received a new name when Abraham was circumcised. We receive a new name. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit is the name put on us when we are baptized into the faith. Circumcision and baptism are the same thing. They both point to the cross of Jesus. One points to the cross of Jesus yet to come. That's the reason why it cost people blood to get it, because the blood hadn't been shed yet. But now that the blood has been shed, we don't shed blood in church anymore. We wash, because the blood's already been shed. Same reason why Passover becomes communion. Passover required blood. Well, the lamb has already been slain. We don't need to slay a lamb anymore. And so we eat an unbloody sacrifice. We eat the bread and we, and we drink juice that, it, that has no bloodshed in it. But it's the same sign. It's a sign of being delivered from slavery and brought into communion with God. In other words, we too, just like Abraham, we too have been given signs that we can always look to to assure us of our faith, to remind us of what kind of relationship God really has brought us into through faith in Jesus. Right? But you always got to remember, just like circumcision, just being baptized externally doesn't make you saved. Right? That just makes you wet. Just like circumcision externally just makes you hurt. It doesn't actually change the heart unless you receive what God is communicating to you in that by faith. Abraham had to believe. Isaac had to believe. Ishmael had to believe. Jacob had to believe. Every baptized Christian has to actually believe in what baptism promises in order to have it. Right? And it doesn't matter whether you believe after you were baptized or before. Uh, here in circumcision, we get in Abraham the example of someone who believed before he was circumcised. But then with his son Isaac, we have an example of a kid who believed long after he was circumcised. Either way, they received the same thing from God, and circumcision was the guarantee of it. Right? Which is, by the way, the reason why we believe Jesus calls us to baptize children. Just like children in the Old Testament were called to be circumcised. Because the promises of God are given not just to you, but to you and to your children after you. And it doesn't matter whether your faith comes of age before you're baptized or during or after. Just as long as you have faith, <laughs> you are saved. And baptism is the confirmation and the guarantee of it. So let's look. Just a few lessons real quick. Uh, if you'll look at the beginning of the chapter, I want to, and you might want to write these down. These are three things you can get when you look at either circumcision or baptism. First of all, you can get grace. Grace. Uh, look at chapter 17, verse 1. Abraham was 99 years old. The Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. The number one thing God was trying to communicate in circumcision was, Abraham, you cannot do this. You cannot keep my promises for me. I alone must do it. Grace alone. God's work alone. The same thing is true with baptism. Have you ever thought of this? This is an amazing thing. In the Old Testament, in order to become a member of the community of faith, you actually had to have something cut away. In the New Testament, before you can even become a member of the church, you've got to take a bath. You've got to be washed. And that communicates something, doesn't it? Doesn't that? Communicates something extremely powerfully, I think, that clearly this is not a community about merit. This is not a community about human earnings. This is a community about the almighty 
grace of God coming down from heaven upon us and washing us clean. We don't qualify ourselves. God qualifies us. It teaches you grace. The second thing it teaches you, though, is obedience. God said to Abraham, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant with you, between me and you, and may multiply you greatly. In other words, God made it very clear to Abraham when he was circumcised. Abraham, I'm saving you by grace so that you may become the kind of person that is faithful to my covenant that I'm looking for, so that you may be holy, so that you may grow in your obedience and your understanding of me. Uh, Being circumcised, not just a sign that God's cutting something away, it's also a sign that you have become a new person. You're never the same again. And the same thing is true of baptism. In the New Testament, it tells us when someone's baptized, they are baptized into the death of Jesus, but they are also baptized and raised in the resurrection of Jesus. So that to be a Christian means not only has your old self died, your new self has come out. That means live new. Don't live in the old way. Stop going back to the before Christ way. Live in the new way with Jesus. Uh, When we look at baptism, when Abraham looked at circumcision, he was always reminded, I belong to another. I'm marked. And every Christian ought to be able to say that too. I don't belong to myself. I've been claimed by a higher power. Not just because he created me, but because he sent his son to die on the cross for me. And then the last thing that you can learn from baptism is assurance. Assurance. Abraham fell on his face, it says, verse 3. And God said to him, Behold, look, get up, Abraham. Get up off your face. My covenant is with you. Uh, There's a reassuring word here that God gives to Abraham. Welcome back, kids. There's a reassuring word that God is giving to Abraham here. Abraham's first response is to fall on his face, to be discouraged. And God says, look up. Here's my covenant. I want you to, I want you to live a life of assurance. Same thing is true with us. God does not want his people worried about whether they are his people or not. God doesn't want his people to live unsure of whether they are saved or whether they are converted or going to heaven or not. And part of what God is doing in the covenant sign is every day he's trying to build in you a greater assurance that you really do belong to him. That as you embrace every day what the gospel that baptism so greatly displays or the gospel so greatly displayed at communion, as you, as you embrace that gospel promise, you can deepen your assurance. That he is mine and I am his. You know, I know I'm going to heaven. Sometimes, it, sometimes we doubt that, and sometimes it takes a long time for a Christian to get that kind of full assurance. It, it really is a struggle for some people, for sure. But nevertheless, God wants you to have full assurance. Because it's the fully assured Christian that lives like a Christian. The doubting Christian has struggle. Abraham, if he doubted what God told him, man, he would have had a hard time. And so God told him, to be circumcised so that he would never forget. You are mine. I am yours. And I am the God of your children after you.